So, Psalm 36, starting in verse 5, this is what it says. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. Everyone say beast. I love that word. It's like you look at someone good at sports, like they're a beast. Now, they don't play on the Green Bay Packers because they can't even keep a quarterback. But most people who have, sorry, Perry, good to see you. Um, Tiana, good to see you too. Um, beast, verse 7. This is what I love. How precious is your loving kindness. Look at your neighbor and say loving kindness. Oh God, therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Verse 10. Oh, continue your loving kindness. There it is again. To those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. We see a theme here from David who's obviously going through a very difficult time and he's simply saying these words. God, it's your loving kindness. God, it's about how good you are. David had every excuse in the book in this moment in his life to be the complete opposite. God, where are you? God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm empty. But David says, your loving kindness, it's good. In other words, translation, God, your love for me is good. Listen, God's love is good. The Bible says all good things come from above, from God. So if there's anything bad in your life, that's from who? The little red guy with the pitchfork. I don't know, the devil. But good things, good things come from God. All right, Romans chapter 5. For when we were still without strength. Oh, this is good. You ever just read something in the Bible and go, this is really good? You ever do that? This is really good. For when we were still without strength, in due time, due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own, what's that next word? Love towards us. God demonstrates his love towards you and I that in while we were still sinners, still messed up, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Now verse 10 is important. And I'm going to break this down a little bit later. And some of you are going to disagree with me. For a moment. I'm just, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm getting it out right now. Kurt, I'm so glad you're here. You're a Bible theologian. This man preached in Israel on a trip. Tore it up. Not from the floor up. Because I don't say that no more. It's a bad joke. <laughs> but this man knows his Bible. But I'm going to say something to you here. Because I want you to notice in verse 10. For if when we were enemies... Enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Hold up. So is that saying right there that before receiving Christ, that to God we were enemies? Sounds like it to me too, Josh. But, this is what I love, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. If you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you from the subject of God's love for you. God's love 
for you. You can even make it personal on your notes. You can write down God's love for me. I find it like non-coincidental. I was telling Nate, as God put this word on my heart, Nate was getting the worship set around for this morning. Had no idea I was going to speak on God's love. And yet in the last song, we just simply talked about God's love. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Billy Graham. Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town when he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Yes, the evangelist, the mighty man of God, Billy Graham, even sped in his car. Dave, there is hope for you, my friend, as Barbara and I have been praying for you. Some of you, you know who you are, man. You got that lead foot going on. You're like, oh, that's the suggested speed limit. No, it's the speed limit. And I'm talking to myself right here. Okay, so he stopped by a policeman. He's charged with speeding. So Graham admitted his guilt, but was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court. Apparently back in those days, that was common. So the judge asked me, he said, Billy, are you guilty? Are you not guilty? Now, Billy Graham being the evangelist, the man of God that he is, says, sir, he says, I am, I am guilty. So the judge replies, okay, that will be $10. $1 for every mile per hour you over the speed limit. Where have those days gone? Like, a dollar? I mean, at that point, if I got to get somewhere, I'm putting up with the ticket. Now you got to get your insurance hiked up, and everything gets messed up, and then your wife calmly reminds you that you should be a man of God and obey the laws of the land. You all know how that talk goes, right? So he pleaded guilty. Now suddenly, the judge recognized who the man was. He said, here's the deal. You violated the law. The fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. So he took a $10 bill from his wallet, attached it to the ticket, and then he took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. Again, I add, where in the world is that? (laughs) Now watch here. That, said Billy Graham, is how God treats sinners. Think about it. It's the deal of a lifetime. Listen, you're the guilty party. God, the judge, pays your penalty. You did the crime, Jesus paid the price, and not only did he pay the price, he took you out for a steak dinner. What is that? It's called eternal life. You're guilty in sin, I'm guilty in sin, but because of God's great love for us, the bill's been paid. Eternal life is ours. If you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. Listen, if you were to breathe your last breath right now, Because your next breath is at God's command. Where are you going? I came bold this morning. Anytime you wear a t-shirt to preach. (laughs) Or you forgot to pick up your dry cleaning before you went out of town. Sorry. I came bold this morning. No more playing church. No more playing God. Come on, if you were to breathe your last breath right now, where would you go? You say, Pastor Rich, I don't know. Great news. The judge paid your bill. And here's the deal. He's inviting you out to a steak dinner. Question is, are you going with him? Or you got your own way to go? You got your own things to do? Is he God or is he not? You all might be getting mad at me today. I I hope I don't come across mean. I want to come across with some urgency today. God is God. God is good. His love for you is huge. Never ending, never goes. 
I want to be known as a pastor who preaches the gospel. So today you're going to get the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to do my best to explain just two things to you today. Sorry, Dave, again. Just two, not three. I know the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I know. Just got two today. I'll find a way to get the third part in there. I want to give you two things. The first is going to be his death. The second is going to be his life. You see, his rescue comes from his death. And then he being Jesus secures our new life with his resurrected life. See, his death we know about. We know Jesus came. He died on a cross. Got it. But his life, it speaks. His life, it moves. His life, if you find yourself in a place where you just don't get it. Jesus says, look at me. Look to me. Look what I've done. Look what I could do. You got to look at his life. So today we're going to look at both. His death and his life. Because his life is just as important. So number one, write this down. If you're taking notes. Write the death of Jesus. It's not Easter Sunday. It's past Easter. But the death of Jesus. Hear this. Christ died. That's a matter of history. Christ died for my sins. That's the gospel. See, there is all the difference in the world between Jesus died and Jesus died for me. I get real selfish on this one. Because I'll say things like, God, if you sent Jesus to die just for me, thank you. You ever prayed that prayer before? Because he did it just for you. Now the former is an event. And the latter is an interpretation of the event. He came and he died for you. So that you can have a life on this earth that is completely different above anything you could have ever thought of. What I love about the Bible is it puts things in the Bible and you just begin to remember them as the Holy Spirit draws it to repentance. I'm sorry, I'm sorry not to repent. Well, sometimes he does repent. Um, he brings it to your remembrance. So I tell people all the time, you never waste time when you read God's word. You say, but man, I read Leviticus, pastor. <laughs> what do I do with that? I don't know, but I do know this. If the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to you through Leviticus, he'd bring it to your remembrance. Yeah. You never waste your time reading God's word. People say, well, I stopped reading it because I stopped understanding it. Well, you're never going to understand it if you don't keep on reading it. Then you get to come to church and we get to try to break it down for you. Or you get to call a friend or a hero in the faith. And you get to say, could you help me understand this right quick? And then they open up Leviticus and they lose you after the third word. But you hold on because you want to understand that Bible. That's why you never waste time. Listen, the life that God has for you, you read these things in the Bible and you, and you hear like, okay, I could dream up the best life. And God says, I could trump that. Now, here's the great part. I can't remember exactly where that verse is, but I know it's there. And I have enough of it to remember that I could dream up my best life. Do that real quick. Some of you are like, I need a lot more time to do that, Pastor. Some of you are like, nope, I've been thinking about it for a long time. Think of the best life that you can make. Think of what would make you happy. What would make you um, uh, joyful? What would bring you security? What would make you whole? It could be a relationship. It could be your financial status. Oh, pastor, no, we're not supposed to be okay financially. Wrong. Read God's word. See, we're afraid to ask God for things because we listen to a world that says as Christians you shouldn't have. That's ridiculous. You want to know why you should be a blessed person financially though? So you can bless other people. Dream of your best life. God says, I can trump that. When God says in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, do you really fathom what that scripture is saying? You can't get on God's level. And that should be a very 
hopeful thing. Because I can say, God, I would love, fill in the blank, and God says, oh, I got that. No problem. But then he throws a little something on top. So I love God's word. But you want to know why he does all of that? Back to the simple truth. He loves you. The Father loves you and wants to give to you. Okay, Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Love that. Didn't die for the church people. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Jesus said, I came for the sick. But he did die for us. Of course, we're saved. My, my youth pastor would always say, Rich, until you get saved, it's all about you. But once you get saved, it ain't about you no more. Now, don't get that wrong. That doesn't mean God doesn't care. Still work. But what he's saying is, is that your goal and your mission is to find lost people and to, and to introduce them to Jesus. He'd always say that. I was like, thanks, Pastor Joe. I appreciate that. It's not about me. He'd like to get T-shirts. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Note here, he says, Christ, he died. Not that he did miracles or taught, he did that. But it says that when we had an issue called sin and we needed help, it doesn't say Jesus prayed for you. It doesn't say Jesus did miracles. It says Jesus, he died a death. So his death is the mark of his proving love for us. The cross is the manifestation of his love for us. When you look at the cross, you see the price that you were worth to God. It's a heavy price. Listen, we're all guilty of this. And maybe just me. Sometimes, yes, yes, the cross, yes, get it. But do we really get it? It is the one thing that God said fixes the sin problem. And sin separates us from God. And sin, if not dealt with, will keep us in eternity away from God. So listen to me. Please don't ever get tired of hearing about the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that matters. Amen. You ever been there before? Oh man, there he goes. Another message on the cross. If you ever find yourself saying that, be very careful. I love you. Be careful. Because that was God's solution to our problems. And what I love, I love, I love, is that Christ died for us when we were and when we are at our worst. Not at our best. While we were sinners, living a lifestyle of sin, Christ came and he died. He did not wait for you to change in order to die for you. I mean, to me, it's staggering to think that you are worth the death of someone. God's son. Everyone look at me real quick. You're worth it. If Jesus had to do it all over again, he would do it again because you're worth it. He wants eternity with you. So, so he died. Now, consider for a moment what type of characters Christ died for, according to the Bible. The helpless, those without strength, the ungodly, not just the sinners. The Bible says notorious sinners. He died for us. 
Now with that said, consider Paul's argument in verse 7. Look, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. So he's saying in this illustration that if it's, if it's you and you had to die for someone, if you looked at a bad person, you would say, no, nah, not going to do that. But if you looked at a person who was somewhat good, you would say, okay, I'll do that. This is the argument that Paul's making. He's saying one would die more so for a good person rather than a bad person. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. Okay, so here's the question. Here's the question. Would you die in place of your children? If you've got children, would you die for them? Okay, if you don't have children but you want to have children, would you die for them? Go ahead, you can say it out loud. Yeah, yeah oh, good, yes. I just needed some interaction. <laughs> of course you would. You'd say, man, I'd give my life. Hands down, wouldn't even think twice. So you know what Paul does? Paul amps it up a little bit. He goes to a whole nother level. He says, would you die for a person that you don't like? Would you die for a person who has lied about you? Posted something about you? Uh-oh. Gossiped about you? Mocked you? Laughed at you? Paul says, would you die for them? That's the conversation he's making up. And guess what? That's what God did. He did it. Okay. You ever been driving down the road? Of course you all have. You guys have cars. <laughs> Sometimes you ask questions you're like, why do you ask that? You know the answer to that, Rich. We're all adults in here. Okay. You pass a homeless person. And thought goes, okay, I, I want to help them out. So you've got some change. You've got some money laying around. And right there in that moment, a challenge begins to hit you. Wait a minute. Should I do this? Whoa, what are they going to spend it on? These are all great things, by the way, right? What are they going to spend it on? Um, are they scamming me? I, I really struggled with this this past week. There's a gentleman who's walking around this part of town. And, uh, you know, Vanessa, um, you know, when you have a baby, you don't get sleep. I think we all know this. So I've been going, I'm just making sure mama's got coffee every morning, okay? Just every single morning. So I've been going to the Starbucks around the corner. Now they know me by first name. I barely even drink coffee, can care less about coffee, but now they know me. And every single day there's this guy and he's always asking for money all the time. It's not uncommon. People do that. Um, I, I, we've taught our boys on how to, to operate in that to allow the Holy Spirit to speak in and through them, to let them know when this is something that God will want them to do. So, I just, I keep saying no to the guy. You ever just said no to someone and it bothered you for a while? And it just bothered me, but I couldn't figure out why it bothered me so much. I have no, no, I don't give money. I take them in and help them get whatever they, I just, anyways, you guys know my story with my little brother, okay? I don't, I don't do that. But I kept saying no to this guy and it finally, I just got to the point, I'm like, why does this bother me so much? So finally now I'm across the street because again, that's his area over there. And now I'm at the Golden One and I'm putting some money in the bank. And he comes by and he says, hey sir, hey, you got some, some money I could have? You know what I said? No! no I didn't say it like that. <laughs> but I said no again. Except this time it didn't bother me. Because here's what I saw. As I looked up and I looked at him, his clothes were clean. He just got a fresh haircut. 
His bag was nice. He sat down on the ground, pulled a pack of cigarettes out of his bag, started smoking a cigarette. And as people walked by, he kept saying, do you have some money for me? And I was like, he doesn't need my money. And it bothered me for weeks. Keep this in mind. We all have these encounters, right? But let's just say it's the, the other way around. Are they going to spend it on something they shouldn't? Don't know. Are they scamming? Not quite sure. But you help. Now let's make this story even crazier. Let's say that my son was murdered and the man that I gave money to was the one who did it. Now what do you do? Let's say I don't call the cops. You know what that is? That's mercy. But then I take him home and I make him a part of my family. You want to know what that is? That's grace. F follow with me. You say that's outrageous. Would you agree? You guys are looking at me like you agree. It's outrageous. But here's the point of the story. That is God's dealing with us and with you. It is so outrageous that God would say, while you're still a sinner, while you're still going to mess up, while you're still going to break that promise, I know exactly what you're going to do. Here's my son. Come on over to the house. Let's have a meal. Here's your room. You can shower right there. You're one of us now. It's an outrageous deal. Listen, mercy is God not punishing us for the sins that we deserve. And grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. That's how good that is. God demonstrates his own love towards us as Nate comes. The word demonstrate, it literally means that he proves it. God doesn't just say, I love you. He proves it. He makes it super plain. God makes it so clear that his love can't be questioned. By sending Jesus to die. He reconciles us. Meaning, God changes the relationship between man and God. Listen to me. God's attitude changed towards us before we changed our attitude towards him. Let it sink in. Remember that old song back in the day, I found Jesus? No, you didn't. He found you. He was never lost. You were. I'm not trying to pick on a song. I was a little kid dancing around to that one too. Yeah, that's it. That's all you're going to get. You don't get words. You just get kind of noises. He wasn't lost. I was though. See, when we get saved, we get him. And as I bring this to a close, he makes us valuable. There's a, uh, a set of baseball cards for some of you if you've ever collected baseball cards. See anybody collect baseball cards? It's kind of outdated, huh? Well, you're still going to get the story anyways. There's a set of baseball cards, and they're known as future stars. 
And right now there is a card, a piece of paper, thick paper, worth 175 bucks. Just a piece of paper. It's got a photo. It's called Future Stars. And on this card, it has three players. The first is Jeff Schneider. Watch here. Schneider played one year of professional baseball. Pitched in 11 games. Gave up 13 earned runs in those 11 games. If you don't know, that's not good. The second player was, was Bobby Bonner. Played four years of baseball, but only appeared in 61 games. With eight runs batted in, zero home runs. Would you agree that's not good? Some of you like don't even like baseball. It's okay, I'm praying for you. It's all good. Josh and I will watch all the baseball we want on our own. We'll watch enough for all of us. But the third, quote-unquote, future star. Man, this one's good. Played 21 years. Appeared in 3,001 games. He batted 11,551 times, collected 3,184 hits and 431 home runs, and batted in RBIs 1,695. He played for the Baltimore Orioles, and his name was Cal Ripken Jr. In my opinion, one of the best day-to-day -day baseball players who ever walked the face of the planet. Hey, there you go. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you met Bobby Bonner. You know, the other guy didn't do too good. And he shook your hand and he boasted, do you know how much my baseball card is worth? I literally have in my notes, you would laugh because you know the worth of the card has nothing to do with him. And you all just laugh. So you'd laugh. Your baseball card has worth? If it wasn't for Cal Ripken Jr., your baseball card has no worth. We would all agree. And that's how it is when we come to Christ. And we point to our good works, our statistics, and we ask things like, ah, is this good enough? Listen to me. If you want to hold up your stats to God, you don't have a chance. You just don't. But when you put your faith in Christ, His statistics become yours. Your baseball card has worth. I'm only valuable, you're only valuable because of Jesus. I want you to stand with me today as we close. You say, but Pastor Rich, you haven't given me the second point. I'm going to. And then you're going to have to remember it and write it down or type it in your phone. Number two is we have the life of Jesus. I told you that verse 10 was a controversial one. By the way, if you read Romans, <laughs> it's pretty controversial. I almost think, man, if we, if we go into next year, if, if the Lord led us to do a series on Romans, we could literally go a whole year. I don't know if my brain can compute that because Paul was a very, very intelligent man. But Romans is a difficult read. It's really fun though. But think about that. What's he say? Enemies of God. That's what, that's what Paul 
is referring us to. Well, Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit and God to write those words. So it's in there. Everything in the Bible has a purpose, it has a place. While we were enemies of God, public enemy number one, mankind, God thought of us as enemies. But here's the thing. If God did something huge for us when we were in that state, how much more will he do for us now that we're family? When we were enemies of God, he said, here's my son. How much more so will he do for us now? And what's it all come back to? Easy. It, come, it comes back to his love. And it's a guaranteed love. Recently, as you guys know, we had our little baby girl. And uh, our vehicles just weren't going to cut it. Tried to fit the car seats in there. Apparently, they make car seats bigger now than they did nine years ago. So to make a long story short, I went out and had to swap my truck out. I called him Frank the Frontier. Um, I name all of my vehicles. So we had Samson the Silverado when I first got married. But it was a big truck and it wasn't good for the baby. So we got rid of Samson the Silverado. We got Hank the Highlander. Hank the Highlander was a family purchase for MJ. Then we, you know, then we had Frank the Frontier, and now I've got Taco the Tahoe. I really wish you wouldn't laugh at my Tahoe. I didn't name it, but apparently my boys wanted to name it Taco because every Tuesday we go to the taco stand to get $1.25 tacos. So they're, but Dad, you're always getting tacos in the Tahoe. So the truck is literally called Taco the Tahoe. And it just so happens that I really love tacos. So I found a, a great deal said, okay, got to get a, a larger vehicle. So if we're going to travel, we could actually do that. And I uh, went to CarMax and uh, didn't know about this, but they have these, these guarantees in place. So it's like when you drive this off the lot because it's a used vehicle, here's our guarantee. You have up to 3,000 miles or 90 days. If you don't like it, you can bring it back. But that's pretty cool. I'm a type A personality, so I would rather not do that. I'm trying to check this off of my list and not go back to it again. Some of you are like, God bless you. I love you, Pastor Rich. You're just like me. Or if something goes wrong, if something breaks, you can bring it back. And here's the great part. We will fix it for you. And then that part now has a warranty with a guarantee. Win-win. So sure enough, I got it all the way home from Fresno started driving it around and started to notice, man, it had a weird noise every time I turned to the right from the stop position. That's not good. You take that back. Now, I didn't want to drive back to Fresno, though. I was like, man, wow, I don't want to drive back to Fresno. If you're from Fresno, I'm sorry. If you're, <laughs> if you're watching online, I'm sorry. I mean, I've got family and Sanger and all that stuff. And you know, my grandpa actually to this day holds, not it's really God, holds the record for the largest tent revival in Fresno, California, way back in the early 1900s crazy, right? But I don't want to go to Fresno. I'm like, there's a CarMax in Oxnard, and that gives me an ocean view. So you know what I did? I took it back. Had a, uh, a the right backside, had a rear bent axle. Now my brain said, how do you miss that in the checkup? Yeah. So you know what I did? I said that very same thing. I said, respectfully, um, I'm kind of worried because you guys have this 151 point check that's what they said. They checked the whole thing out and you missed a bent axle, which would lead me to be worried about other parts. So what did they do? They gave me a full warranty. 
just as if I bought it brand new. I like guarantees and warranties. Say, Pastor Rich, what are you saying? Let me give you your guarantee. God's love towards you never goes away. You can take it to the bank. You can take it to CarMax even if you want to. Never does. You've heard me say this. And I believe this about God's love. There is nothing. Everyone say nothing. There is nothing that would cause God to stop loving you. Because there is nothing you did that caused him to start loving you. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God doesn't have all the love to give. He is it. I don't have a bottle. If I had a bottle of water, there's water in that bottle. Yes? It's water. That's how God, God is. He's love. And so many times we think that God will only love me when I'm at my best. Wrong. He will, but he loves you also the same when you're at your worst. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Pastor, you don't know what I'm thinking about. Pastor, you don't know what this last week was. I don't care. His love for you does not change. I tell people all the time, why are you running from God? All he's going to do when you get to him is love you. Why are you running from him? He's just going to wrap you up. See, someone in this place needs to receive the love of God. Because you're empty and you think you're filling it with stuff that works. It don't work. God's love, the only thing that fills that hole. You might be watching online. I don't know. But stop trying to find everything you think you need outside of God's love. It's the only thing. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes because I've had you stand long enough. Father, in Jesus' name, you know every person in this room. You know every situation. You know everything that's going through their mind and through their hearts and through their lives. And God, all I'm asking in this moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that they would feel your love. That's it. Well, if I give my life to God, I got to figure this whole thing out. God, they just need to know your love right now. That's it. Step number one. God loves me. He loves you. And I pray that I've done my best this morning to help you understand that he loves you so much that there was the life of his son and there was the death of his son. And just like we read in the book of Psalm, his loving kindness is towards you. He loves you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, just out of respect to the person to the left or to the right, I want to ask two questions. The first one is this. You're here this morning and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to breathe your last breath in this moment, if God was to say, it's time to come home, it's time to come to glory, whatever you want to call it, if God said, today's the day, your time on this earth, so it's time to come home. And you know that you would make heaven your home because you have confessed Christ as Lord and as Savior. And day in and day out, though not perfect, you make it a goal and you make it an aim to put God first. 
I'm not talking to those of you in this room that are born again believers and you made some mistakes this week and you think God's mad at you and you're destined for hell. That's not the case. But you're here and you know, man, heaven's my home. I'd make heaven. If I died today, I know I would make heaven. I am assured of that. Would you do me a favor? Would you just slip up your hand? You say, I'd make heaven my home. Come on, slip it up. If you would. Amen. That is awesome. I mean, you can, you can put your hands down. Here's what I love about that question. Is the honesty in the room. Man, I love it. You, you could be watching online and you, you put up the emoji hand. I'm thankful for that. But maybe you're watching online or maybe you're in this room right now and you say, Pastor Rich, you know what? I couldn't raise my hand. I just couldn't do it. And can I just say something? Can I just applaud you for being real and being honest? Church, I know we're praying and I know I might get a little teary here, but I wish you could have saw what I just saw people in this room that weren't bowing to the pressure of the room to say, oh, I've got to raise my hand so the pastor doesn't think, <laughs> I'm so thankful. But my heart is at the place now in life where I just want, to, I want people to know Jesus. Because you're stuck. Come on, if you got real with you, you, you know it. You're stuck. And it's a, it's a circle. It's the love of God that wants to fill your heart. So, for those of you that didn't lift your hand, let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to point you out. not going to have you lift your hand. I'm going to have you, between you and God, and you and the Holy Spirit. I want you to come face to face with God. The Bible says that only the Holy Spirit can draw a person to repentance. here and you couldn't raise your hand and you know today is your day. It's time today. No more holding back. Jesus came, he lived, but he died because he loves you. And he's got great things planned for you. And this is the start. People say it stops at the cross. No, it don't. It starts at the cross. The greatest days are actually ahead. But it's got to start at the cross. And you can invite him into your heart. And here's how we're going to do it. I want to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says to confess with our mouths that Jesus came, Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, and he's alive today. See, that's how good God is. He makes it so simple. You, gotta, you just got to confess it. You say, am I going to feel anything? You might. You, you may feel something. If that's how you're wired, if that's how God wired you, you may pray this prayer and something on the inside might just grip you. But then for some of us, maybe like me, 
That's not how I came to the Lord. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to be saved. I heard a gospel message. They asked me if I wanted to receive Christ. And on the inside, I said, that's me, that's me, that's me. And then they led me to prayer. And then I got done. And I was like, okay, now what do I do? But I wasn't like jumping around, going crazy. That's not how God wired me. Some of us need to be okay with the way that God has wired other people just because they don't dance around like you dance around or they don't shout like you shout and they don't sing like you sing does not mean they don't love God and they're not excited about God. That's how they're wired. So you might pray this prayer and just be like, well, but it's what you do after that. And that's where the local church comes in. And that's where the body of Christ comes in. We help you take your next step. Everyone's got a next step. I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus. You've got a next step. If that's you and you say, Pastor Rich, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I want you to pray this prayer with me. And here's the great news about the body of Christ, about the family of Christ. There are people in this room. They raised their hands. I'm, t- I'm talking to you right now. You raised your hand. You're going to pray this prayer with those to support, to come alongside that are praying this prayer maybe for the very first time or maybe they're rededicating their lives. It's going to be a powerful moment. Church, would you say this with me? God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. While I was a sinner, you sent your son for me. So I confess, you are Lord. I give my life to you. I'm not looking back. Forgive me of sin from this moment on. I make a choice. I make a decision. You're it. God first. And I thank you for it. God, when I make a mistake, when I blow it, I'm not running from you. I'm not giving up. You are my Lord. And I give you my life today. I believe Jesus came. I believe he died. But God, you raised him from the dead. And today he's alive in my heart. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can you just give the Lord a hand clap of praise?